I used to look at women on site and be like, there's no place for women on, on a building site. I just don't see why they're here. And that's the truth. Having a daughter changed my outlook on it. When you look at your, your little baby daughter and you're looking at her and you're like, she can be whatever she wants. And I was just like, do you know what? You shouldn't have all the grief that comes with it if you're a girl. Walking into dinosaurs like me going, there ain't no place for women on site. I just don't see why you're here. All that mindset has to change. What's actually really good about what you said there is it's how honest you are. Most people aren't confident enough to actually be honest about that. When you're working in, in London doing um, subby work, you get knocked for money quite a lot. You're treated badly. I started up my own union. It was really successful. We managed to recover somewhere between 80 and 100 grand in unpaid wages within a year. That was our biggest win. We was in the sun. I was on Talk Sport. Unite hated me because of our union affiliations. It's a big bust up. At Unite, they've got a most wanted list and I'm on there. Sam McDill. He's the man behind the highly successful Electricians Monday Club podcast on YouTube. Do check that out. This is a fascinating discussion that took all kinds of twists and turns from him starting his own union to his views on encouraging women into trade. Please enjoy it. And if you do, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and like, comment, share it wherever you can. It all really helps. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. It is fantastic to have you along. Well, thank you very much, mate. Um, it's very nice to be invited on other podcasts. Um, yeah, it's nice to be here, mate. Yeah, it's um, obviously for for people in the in the industry, electrical industry, that they're, they're going to know the Monday Club. It is it is massive. It's awesome. You should listen. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to just hear from the start about about you. Um, what your background is, how you came to to be in the trade you're in, and and and, and clearly how you how you got into podcasting and, and 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 yeah, whatever else you're up to at the moment. So I haven't always been a spark. When I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to go straight to work for some reason. So I carried on going to uh, education. I went to um, Coulston College, which is near Croydon, and. Um, yeah, so I went there and I'd done IT. I'd done two years of IT, which is completely irrelevant now. Like, it's irrelevant after about three weeks, to be fair. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, come out of that and decided to go into sales. And I'd done sales for a long time. Well, I say a long time, three, three years. But, it, again, I just wasn't really f- very fulfilled with it. Like, I like talking. But I don't like having to – I just didn't like the chase of trying to sell all the time. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and then I would, I had enough of sales, completely had enough, and I thought I'm going to go and be – I want to trade. My brother was a chippy, and I was like, I was quite envious. I was looking at him thinking, oh, mate, at least you get to work with your hands all day and stuff like that. So I went and stood in line um, at Bromley College, which is just outside of Croydon. Um, well, it's Bromley. And uh, I queued up uh, um, for about 20 minutes. And I was standing there and I was thinking, 
look how old I am. Because I was like 20, 22, 22, 23, I'm not sure now. And I was looking around, there's like, they was really young, like 16 years old. And I was just like, this is, I, I, like, I was I was like a bit taken back and I was, I was getting all nervous. And I got to the desk and I was, a couple of times I was going to walk out because I was like, oh, this ain't for me. Anyway, I got to the desk, I sat down and I was never very good at school. Um, I am, um, I suppose they would call it like, I call it bad behaviour, really, but I, I suppose they call it like ADHD and you know all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. But they didn't have that back then. Um, so yeah, that is why. Um, so I sat down and I said to the guy, you know, I've got no qualifications, no formal qualifications, but I'm not dumb. Um, I just, you know, have some like I've just had issues at school. Anyway, he said, listen, I'll take a chance on you. Shook my hand. I suppose that's my sales training. I paid off for that moment. I sold myself to the guy. He shook my hand. And then, um, yeah, f- three years, I got my trade um, under my belt. It wasn't easy um, to get my gold card because in the electrical industry, the holy grail when you're an apprentice should be. It's not always, but it should be the... Um, the gold card, the ECS gold card. That is that is what I call the Willy Wonka's golden ticket. And if you can get that, you'll um, you'll always be able to get work. And that was my main focus to get the uh, the the ECS gold card. And um, yeah, so three years went by, got my ECS gold card, and then I went out into the world of uh, subcontracting in and around London, really. And how did you get to to where you are today, doing podcasts? Let's make that leap. So it's funny. When you're working in in London doing um, subby work and stuff like that, um, it can be it can be quite taxing um, and quite hard and soulless, if you like, because actually sometimes mm. you don't get you don't get to see the end of many jobs. You won't get to see um, you, you get knocked for money quite a lot. Um, you're treated badly, and the mindset I had at the time was, I'm, "I've had enough of this, but I like my job. What do I do?" So I joined a union, but it wasn't a union. It was like this grassroots movement to unionize the industry. Mm-hmm. There's already a union, unite the union. They're basically a union for everything, and there was this little offshoot called the rank and file and they're like the, the the rank and file of electricians and they had this sort of movement going and I, I joined that and quite quickly fell out of favor with them because what they was espousing I didn't 100% agree with and then because I was pushing back we fell out and I I left that and I thought well I, I think I can do a better job for what I want it to be I can't do a better job than what they're doing because we don't have the resources. But I thought I could do a better job based on what what agency workers and subcontractors need in my in my in uh, in my circuit, if you like. And so I started up my own my own uh, union. It's called the Electrical Workers Branch, and I started that up with the help of um, a couple of other. Uh, electricians namely ricky howe 
Now, Ricky Howe, uh, we're, we're really good friends, and we just started talking over the phone, talking over the phone about all the issues that we face. And then we created this union called the EWB, the Electrical Workers Branch. Um, and for about a year, it was really successful. We've done really good things. Um, it's a lot of getting people paid, but I did it whilst working. Did it all for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we managed to recover somewhere between 80 and 100 grand in unpaid wages within a year. Uh, our biggest win was over at um, Tottenham Hotspur Football Stadium when that was being built. Um, a load of electricians got knocked um, for, I think it was something like 60 grand in total. And we got it. We got it paid out two weeks before Christmas. So that was uh, that was our biggest win. We was in the yeah. sun. I was on Talk Sport because obviously it's linked to the biggest stadium in the UK or whatever yeah. it was at the time. I know nothing about football as well. Not a damn thing. Um, so yeah. So after that, it started getting all very political. And you know this whole woke movement that come like come flying into into. Uh, well, into the Twitter sphere and into social media, this whole woke movement come in, and the union that we sort of attached ourselves to was super woke. And obviously, we're our membership is builders and well, sparks and like tradesmen. So it didn't. It was quite a, a fractious relationship because. It's not really what we was in it for. We was in it to make sure that we had some rights and got paid. That's all we wanted. So what kind of thing was the, you know, with the union driving towards when like, cause of that clearly that can mean lots of things. So it's things like Brexit. They was yeah. really um, anti Brexit. They was really like, um, and, but Brexit's people's personal choice. And they were saying like, and they was forcing it on us to support, um, staying in Europe and stuff like that. And most of the electricians at the time thought if there's less immigration who come in and do the unskilled labour, because it's a whole other issue around unskilled labour doing skilled work, mm-hmm. um, then there'll be a labour shortage, the money will go up and we'll all be we'll all be better off for it. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I'd never get involved in stuff like that. That's not what I do it for. Mm. So if my membership was, no, we want Brexit, but the bigger union was like, no, we want to stay in Europe. How can I, I couldn't really balance that. So we had a couple of bit like big blow ups about, and I was like, but my members don't want to support that. So we got into this whole thing about that. And then there's other things that, I don't know if it's still like politically charged because I I don't watch the news. Um, I don't watch the news. I don't watch any current affairs, nothing anymore. Since COVID, (laughs) I don't watch anything, nothing. Um, I just watch box sets or YouTube. That's it. I, I just don't watch TV anymore. And so that got all fractious and we ended up leaving the union. It's a big bust up and we left. But me and Rick at the time, where we talked so much, hours and hours on the phone, talking about the industry and that, it was like, let's do a podcast. I was like, definitely. Because I was listening to podcasts um, 
on my iPhone 2, um, back, back before it even exploded. Um, I've always listened to talk radio, even like as a kid, I'd rather listen to talk radio than listen to music laying in bed at night and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, we just started up the podcast. It used to be called the electrician's guide to everything. And then when Rick left, we rebranded it, um, electrician's Monday club. And then it's kind of sort of, it kind of sort of morphed into electrician's Monday club. And then Nick Bundy joined, and we sort of grew it from there to what it is now. And yeah, it's been for a lot of different, different phases and lots of different. We've been right through the range. At first, we was quite um, all about the industry. Now we're all about the about the. It's more like um, industry culture and way more like the banter you have sitting in the canteen at lunchtime or when you're talking to your mates and stuff like that, it's more it's more to do with bantery and like being entertaining and and funny and silly and informative. Trying to wrap all mm. that up. In, and we it's not like we sort of try to make it that. We just have a chat. And if it if it is that, brilliant. If it's not, you know, oh well. Yeah. And, and was that like the original idea when you came into that or has it evolved into that? No. So when we when we first did it, we had guests every week. And so we got into interviewing quite um, quite a lot. So the first 20 episodes were inter- were interviews and people we wanted to talk to in the industry. And, and it was really good. We talked to some really good people. Um, a lot of them, the governing bodies, won't talk to me and certainly wouldn't talk to me and Rick. Um, because of our union affiliations. So okay. Unite hated me, and Unite are tied up with the ECA and the JRB, both governing bodies of the industry, so they won't go anywhere near me because I'm United's, like At Unite, they've got a most wanted list, and I'm on there. <laughs> like an FBI te- top 10 most wanted list, I'm on there, trust me. Um, so... Yeah, the, a lot of those organisations don't come on, didn't wouldn't come on the podcast at that point. So we just started talking about the industry more, and then it sort of mm-hmm. morphed into what it is with me and Nick today, where we don't even need a guest anymore. We just sit there and, and, and chat a load of nonsense. Is it something that you think is going to evolve from here? Or is it just a format that you've got down and like it just works now? Um, it's a funny thing with with podcasting to the electrical industry is weird. Because electricians don't really want to listen to other electricians talk about the industry. Most electricians just want to go work, go home, and forget about it. Um, they're not so. It, it, and it's and podcasting is a funny thing. Although it's massive, if someone says, "Oh, what's a podcast?" And I'm like, "Are you even from this century?" Like. <laughs> A lot of people don't actually understand the difference between a podcast and a YouTube blog. Like, it's a phenomenal. If I ask 10 people, maybe only two or three people, I really understand what a podcast is. Probably less than that. Mm-hmm. So the best way I describe it is it's a, uh, it's a radio talk show that you can download at any time. 
And that's, that's really the only way you can describe what a po- podcast is. And so you mentioned that, that you've got these uh, unions now that won't talk to you and people in the industry that won't talk to you. Is there something that you've not told us or is there a problem <laughs> in the industry? Like, If I went into the, the history of me and unions, <laughs> it was about, I think it was about, <laughs> about only like a two-year period. But as with anything... They had a narrative that they that they they want you to follow. They want everyone to freely join and then tell you what to think. No, I'm not doing that. And, and if you disagree with it, well, no. Here's the thing: in them situations, there's only ever about three or four people. Say you've got hundred people in a room, there might only be three or four people that will stand up and disagree with the person at the front. And then the rest, some will just walk out because they'll be like, I actually don't want no- nothing to do with that. They're smart. They're smart. They mm. realise the situation for what it is. Then you've got the others that just want to be part of the group and they'll go, oh, why are you asking him that? Oh, what? No, just sit down and stuff like that. But I'll stand up and I'll be like, well, no, I don't agree with what you're saying. No, I don't agree with that. Blah, 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 blah. And before you know it, I've upset people. And now I've got someone shouting over here. And I'm like, you shut up. Shut up. I ain't finished. And then now you've got this whole thing going off. And so when I moved to start my own union, it really it really upset like the core element of the rank and file. The rank and file are this awesome organization. They are awesome. And I don't really have much bad to say about them other than they're not representing my needs. And my needs were, and the needs of my peers, which were agency workers, working on like um, a labour-only basis on big projects in London. They didn't represent us. And when I joined, I wanted them to think about representing us. They said, absolutely no way. So I was like, why have I joined? Because like their reasons they was giving me for joining didn't really make sense. So that's why I did my own. And that upset them because they was like, well, you're taking people away from our union. I was like, but you asking people to join your union and you not rep- can't give them any representation. So that was what it was. And that was a big fallout. And there's some quite influential people who were upset by my decision to start up a scab union. Um. And I would have happily worked with them. Like I wasn't working against them. I just wanted to basically make sure that people could get paid. And mm. I, I got knocked for like eight hundred quid. And then I went after it, got it. I was like, well, that was easy. I'll do it again. And then what I wanted was a legal team to be able to um, help me and stuff like that. And the legal team they had at the IWGB were good. The IWGB is the other un- the union that we teamed up with was good, but they were busy doing other stuff all of the time. So really, the onus was on me to sort of find ways and avenues of, of breaking it down. And um, so yeah, so I I just I just um, oh, I'm going to use a really cheesy phrase now. I was a disruptor. I disrupted the game for a bit, and I'd done stuff yeah. that that embarrassed them. I think so. They so. 
the way the electrical industry works, the union does have its fingers in in all the pies because they they represent the workers, if you like. They represent six thousand workers in the electrical industry, so they so they do have this influence. But again, that's all in the past. But that's what mm. brought me and Rick together. Me and Rick, I call Rick the um, the father of the podcast. I'm the mother. Rick left me. Podcast my what baby, and I, I've um, he just he just had enough. Here's the other thing about podcasting. It's brutal. It is brutal doing it week in, week out. Um, you've got to find an hour to put your family to one side, come out to the shed and talk about – there might actually be nothing to talk about, but it's Monday Club, so we've got to put one out every mm. Monday. It's got to be entertaining. Both of you got to be up for it. Getting two, pe- getting two people and a guest to agree on a day – and then you've got to do it. There's no, there's no flexibility. It was really, really brutal. So when we, when we sort of transitioned to Monday Club, when we brought on Neil Bridgman and Mark Allison, two powerhouses in the electrical industry, to talk with us, and we was going to do it as four people podcast. It created this sort of mad power dynamic, and it was really, really fun, really fun. But again, it just the scheduling was get four people to agree in one day and one hour to go and do a podcast, which used to be like at least two and a half hours because we'd be talking nonsense before, doing the podcast, carrying on for extra time and all that sort of stuff. So I tried to make that work for a long time. And then in the end, I just sort of gave up. And if someone wants to come on the podcast, they can, but it's got to be, I can't work to their schedule. And the good thing about the way we were doing, me and Nick are doing it now, is we can podcast on a Monday, or we can podcast on a Sunday, or on a Thursday, just whenever we can sh- uh, link up our schedule. Mm. But again, it's an incredibly tough thing to do, especially for someone like Nick, who's got four children, a business, um, mm. and a life, and a. Um, a, uh, a blog that he's uh, is incredibly successful and then he's still got to find eight hours a month to fit this in as well um mm. it's, it's so tough the podcasting thing is so tough um i say so tough it's not climbing everest relax but <laughs> it's, it's it's not easy and what, what, like, what like really motivates you to do it then like what, what makes um, you do it day or week in week out I really, really, I really love the whole process of it. Like, I love talking to new people. I love the whole. Um, I do love my industry. I really enjoy being an electrician. I really enjoy learning new things um, through the podcasts. I would say I'm a better electrician. Um, I know way more than when I when I came into it, and that's not through the experience I gain when I'm working. But is I've probably. I think this is a multiplier. Do you know what I mean? So if I if I attach this to me working and all the conversations and the hours and hours of conversations and then listening to other podcasts to sort of see what they're talking about within the industry, really getting to grips with everything. And yeah, I would say it's multiplied my knowledge over the last three years on top of the experience by, I don't know, times X5. Mm. Easy. What are the big problems in the electrical industry at the moment? To be honest with you, I've got quite a positive outlook because 
do you know what? I went down a rabbit hole the other day because I'm creating a, um, I'm, I'm doing a project to do with the industry, but to do with the labour in the industry and stuff like that. It's, um, it's not looking too bad, actually. There's loads of little problems. There's loads of little problems. I suppose the biggest problem is there's no sort of one body that sits at the top mm. that directs all of the traffic. And I think the industry would be way better organised and suited if they had this one sort of governing body that fed everything through in... in it kind of exists, but it doesn't. There's loads of governing bodies that all feed into each other, but I feel like it all needs to be funneled to the electricians much better um, because they're mm. so... Yeah, it needs to be funneled to electricians a lot better. Electricians in the industry are really um, unrepresented in terms of what we say and, and like the problems we face on the ground uh, are incredibly... And not just not just problems in terms of products and you know working conditions and all that sort of stuff, but I don't know wages and and um, qualifications and you know just having a say in the future of the industry where like how we'd like to see things go and all that. There is nowhere to to sort of voice that opinion to. I mean. You could argue that you could go to a union, you could go to a union, you feed it up in, in, into the the guy who sits at the JRB and then here feed it through for you. But I, I mean, there's no sort of electricians are incredibly underrepresented in the industry, and um, apprenticeships are not really working out very well. Although they're on the up, the dropout rate's almost fifty percent, and then out of those fifty percent, the What's happened in in the last, I don't know, 20 years is instead of it being a further education college, there's a lot of training centres and academies. Now, that, that like, many sort of companies doing the same thing breeds competition, so you'd think the bar goes up. Whereas I know a couple of really good academies. Number one is the Electrical Academy in Maidstone. The best there is. Then you have other ones that all they want to do is make money. So they're churning you through, churning you through, in and out, in and out, getting as many people in, offering short courses and all that sort of stuff. But all that's gone now. Short courses are gone. Um, but, yeah, I would say I'd say um, the, the, the apprentices need to be more encouraged, I think. There's a lot, there's a lot of problems with, a, with the apprenticeship route. Um, and, and training facilities. What kind of work are you doing now? So I've mostly only ever done commercial um, installations and I'm now doing, well, and I've done quite a bit of industrial. But I'm at a stage now where I only want to work local. Um, I am near a cluster of like fairly decent sized towns. Um <laughs> So I do get fairly local work for the commercial thing, but it's not always it's not always great, and it's not always um, very well paid. Um, so what I've tried to do, and I've been trying to do for about three months, is pick up more domestic work locally. 
So that's what I'm doing now is I'm still working my commercial job and then finishing yep. at four and then I've got an evening of jobs ahead of me. So like only local jobs, they're only 10 minutes from my house. That's what I want to build up is 10-minute jobs or 20-minute jobs from my house and have mm. like a little catchment area. And as as that builds, I'll take a day off of my commercial stuff and then I'll start, hopefully, gets to a point where I can be like, right, when this job finishes, I'm only concentrating on my domestic stuff. And that's mm. the way it's going at the moment. Yeah, so is it, I mean, are they both kind of, you operating as your own business or is is that just the domestic sole work? trader I'm, I'm a sole trader okay. so yeah, yeah. sam do electrical basically at yeah. the moment um and i'm just going off of recommendations and you know people put a group uh i need an electrician to change a light switch i'll go and do that job like mm. just 10 minutes from my house i make a little bit of money goes in the pot you know and I, I, I'm getting a lot of those jobs coming up. I don't really want rewires. I'm not interested in that. But as time goes on, those jobs will build up and I'll get where I need to. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, uh, why aren't you interested in rewires? Uh, rewires are really, really hard work if you want to make money. It's very difficult to get right. It takes um, a bit of practice. Um, and you need someone with you, and I, it's just—I just don't think I could deliver good quality rewire quickly enough to make money. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because so, um, I spend quite a bit of time talking to like people in the heating industry, and, and it's, it's similar to um, when they talk about bathrooms. Like some people just seems to have that down, um, okay. and. And, and, and like but a lot of people just like it's just too hard work because there's there's too many other variables going on there's too many i guess a rewire is kind of different because like it's not like the homeowner they just want it rewired they don't they don't care about like what the tiles look like or you know what sink it is well, and all that stuff here's the problem so you go into someone's house and they want to rewire they're like they expect like the things they expect is so much further away from what you can deliver a lot of the time based on their budget. So you're mm. having them conversations around budget and yeah. what they want. And then they're like, Oh, but I got a quote for, I got a quote for three grand. And I'm, yeah, but I'm just not doing it for that. And, and it's probably not like for like, and you know, the same old tradesman mm. problems It's it's, um, I'd rather just get what I call low-hanging fruit, the jobs other electricians don't want to do. Like yesterday, I was um, there's a lady around the corner. She's got quite a, she, I don't know, eclectic taste. So she's got all <laughs> these sort of antiques and um, things from all around the world, and she's got like these big chandelier things. And she, she put a, a post on a Facebook group. I picked it up. Literally six minutes from my house, went round there, and she's like, "Oh, do you think you could fix this chandelier and put it up?" Um, I've got all, and it like she has, she's got about six or seven chandeliers to go up, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that, no problem." So I had to order the parts off of well, they're the um, what can I think of what they're called bayonet holders anyway, and I had to basically take her old ones apart, take out some bits. Put it all together, make one functioning one, and, and just basically 
make it safe and right and put it back together and then lift it up by myself, which was long. And then the attachments at the top were all over the place. And it was just a long, drawn-out job that most electricians would be like, I'm just not doing that. That's too hard work. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it was really nice. We had a great conversation. I had a couple of cups of tea. Um, and I got paid handsomely to put up a couple of chandelier lights and fix one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably call you next time. Do you need something, something doing as well? Oh, I'm booked up. I'm I'm going back there every Wednesday now for two yeah. weeks. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's interesting, though, isn't it? Because like that's that's something I think a lot of people don't do enough of is taking that long term view of like customer lifetime value. Like if I build this relationship now, <laughs> this job may not make me much money, but I can see the next this customer is going to be a customer of mine for ten years, and they're going to deliver a lot of valuable. Well, also valuable she's... work. She's quite known in the area, stuff like that. So she'd be like, "Oh, I've got an electrician," you know. Yeah, exactly. And it just yeah, builds, yeah. and it builds in like if you're yeah, doing those. Yeah. At this stage, I'm not turning away work. Like I'll turn away a rewire because it's beyond my capability to deliver and make mm. money. But sitting there fixing a light to get it working is not difficult. Um, yeah. it, it's it's just it's just basically a big puzzle, isn't it? It's a big puzzle yeah. you've got to put back together. Sweet. I can do that and get paid for it. No problem. Have a conversation with a lovely old lady. Have a couple of cups of tea. Look at all the lovely things in her house. Great. She's gonna. She's had a lovely time. She's um, got her lights up. She's super pleased. She goes and tells all of her friends. Great. Mm. A couple of hours of my evening. Yeah. It's, it's free marketing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a great way to build a reputation for sure. But what, just to, I guess, take a different tack, one of the things that you um, chatted, well, we chatted about a little bit was how passionate you are about encouraging like women into the industry. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say, wouldn't say I was passionate about it. What I would say is okay. I think having a daughter changed my outlook on it. Before having a daughter, I used to look at women on site and be like, there's no place for women on, on a building site. I just don't see why they're here. And that's the truth. And I know it's incredibly unpopular to say these things, but it is what it is. Um, however, I've had a daughter. And when you look at your, your little baby daughter and you're looking at her and you're like, you could do anything you want. Do you know what I mean? And I just, you got, I got all like caught up in, the, in that. And I was just like, do you know what? Why can't women be electricians? Like, she can be whatever she wants. She's going to be a capable awesome human so mm. yeah i got caught up in the whole dad thing and, and and i i now do believe that it's um it's really important to make sure that not equal opportunity but opportunity of outcome mm. so if you want to do it and you work hard at it and you apply yourself to be in it you should have a way into the industry and you shouldn't have all the grief that comes with it if you're a girl. Walking into dinosaurs like me going, there ain't no place for women on site, just don't see why you're here. All that mindset has to change because it actually it's not very nice. It's uh, It shows low IQ and um, you just don't you just don't need to be to be like that. It's just not a thing that in 2022 we need to be like. And uh, I had a bit of a change around in mentality. And so, obviously, I have worked with a lot of uh, the uh, female um, electricians 
on podcasts and stuff like that. So big shout out to Summer, Kimmy, Amy. Um, do you know what? There's, there's so many I probably can't remember. And I'm tired. I'll be working all day. <laughs> oh, every day this week, 12 hours. Yeah. Probably more. Yeah. Um, but a big shout out to the girls out there doing it. I think that I think I do take some inspiration from it as well because it's not easy. I, I've gone to I've gone to jobs before. Well, I was feeling a bit rough, fe- not feeling too confident about life, and I've had to get on the train. You go all the way to London. You're carrying your stuff. And you get up there. And you know you're going to walk into a, onto a site, and it's, I just used to dread it. Sometimes used to dread it. I'm a confident man. I'm not, I've got no problem you know, being in a situation. But there is them times where you go... I remember going to a job and I just stood outside and I walked past the job and I went back. I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any way I can not go into that job today. And, like, because it's, it's a fear of the unexpected, I suppose. I just was, like, in a real bad place in that. And I suppose with females walking onto a site, it must be very daunting because it's mostly men being the just being like manly it's a site where men are being manly so they're not going to be minding their p's and q's around women so it might be an intimidating environment for them um but if they could go in there and know they're not going to be disrespected or um made to feel like they're not worth worthy of being there then I think that's a really important thing. But again, I think times have changed. I think a lot of people, a lot certainly younger people, really don't think how I used to, how I used to. Um, and I think times are changing. I think a lot of a lot of people my age are sort of seeing that that the times are changing and changing with them. I think we're like people my age, like thirty five to forty five, like that generation. Yeah, I think we're quite an open-minded generation. We grew up through like a lot of change. Yeah, I think I think what's um, what's actually really good about what you said there is it's how honest you are about saying, "Look, I I thought like this, and then then I've changed." Because I think that that actually helps drive change in people who are also like actually maybe I I still think like that, or you know, that's it's most people aren't confident enough to actually be honest about that so i think that's that's really great to to hear you say that well thanks mate it's not like you asked me a question i answered it and there's no like yeah yeah absolutely to hide you know cool uh well it's been fantastic to to spend some time chatting with you sam and uh yeah look forward to to chatting with you more offline but uh but thanks for coming on it's been great nice one thank you for having me